You're listening to Vinyl Tap, Inside the Music Industry with Michael Parisi. Hi, my name is Michael Parisi. I've been a part of the music industry for over 30 years. I've worked in all facets of the business, from promotions, marketing, A&R and artist development. I've also worked for and with major record labels. I've run my own labels and my music publishing company, and I'm still an artist manager today. So take a seat in the room with me as I talk with some of the biggest movers, shakers and visionaries of the music industry. There'll be lots of stories, insights and intel that you won't hear anywhere else. So sit back, relax and welcome to Vinyl Tap. They say timing is everything in the music business, so it's somewhat serendipitous that my next guest on Vinyl Tap has just been announced as the inaugural director of the newly formed Music Australia. For those of you who don't know, Music Australia is a government-funded music body set up to support and promote the Australian contemporary music industry both here and abroad. Millie Milgate's name is synonymous with the export of Australian music around the globe. As the executive producer of Sound Australia for 14 years, not only has she clocked up more frequent fly points than most of the artists she, rep- she has represented combined, but she's also been able to help shape and launch the international careers of many domestic artists. She's a Harvard Business graduate, a Eurovision judge, a board director for Support Act, and above all, she's a true champion of Australian music far and wide. I've always been a big admirer of her work and I've always enjoyed our conversations over the years and this interview was no exception. So sit back, relax and enjoy my interview with Millie Milgate. And action, here we are in downtown Ultimo with Millie Milgate. Now Millie, before we get serious, I've got a question which has been on my mind for quite a while now. Serious question. Absolutely. How many frequent frequent fly points <laughs> do you have? Okay. It's, <laughs> it's a serious it, question. Yeah, no, it's a serious question. I think I'm currently at about 195,000, but I just literally two weeks ago transferred a considerable amount to my younger brother so he can come back um, from London to visit That's my nice family. That's nice of you. Yeah. So yeah. what did you have then? Uh, maybe closer to four. Wow, four hundred thousand. Wow, and, yeah. we'll, and we'll and we'll talk about yeah. why you have those points in a second. <laughs> but let's start with um with yourself and your career. I first met you in the nineties when you were a, a band manager. Yeah, and you you know I I think it was probably maybe ninety eight ninety nine. What was it like to be a female manager in what was and probably arguably still is a male dominated domain? Particularly back then, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. And look, my management came about for me where it was never, I'm going to be an artist manager. That just wasn't even a, a thing. I was already working um, adjacent. I was booking the bands at Macquarie Uni. Uh, I was living with some guys that were in a band that started to do quite well. And I was helping them out. I'm doing some parentheses and air signs here, but it was... Um, I think, honestly, for the first two years of working with them, I was just helping out. You know, the idea of even saying out loud, I am their manager, took a long time. It took a really long time. So I think there was that just in terms of what my role was it. Was was artist management a thing 
really that I would consider. And then I think in terms of um, the gender, I, I do remember um, we were really fortunate with this band. We ended up in a situation where we had five of the six majors at the time had a deal on the table. And part of that due diligence was I figured they're going to tell you everything you want to hear in the lead up to going into a signing. So maybe I should have a chat to some managers who were already signed and kind of get a bit of a feel there. So I literally was cold calling quite senior managers to have a conversation about their A&R person. And this particular particular guy. I can't I'd, say. Um, it was Craig Camber. Right. Okay. It was yep. Craig Camber. Yep. And I spoke to three managers in a row and they all had different stories and, you know, re- really varied but along a similar theme. And then I spoke to the fourth manager. The fourth manager was Fiona Duncan. Who had spider bait. Who had spider bait. And she very generously, as with the other three, with with their time, you know, ran through through some things. And she said, Millie, can I just ask, have have you spoken to other managers? I said, I have. She said, do they have quite different things to say to me than, than I'm saying? I said, yeah, actually they did. She said, were they all men? And I kind of just paused on that and just went, oh, yeah, yeah, they were. But weirdly at the time I didn't think of myself as calling a male manager. Sure. I was calling managers. Managers, yeah. But I think it just kind of quite succinctly summed up a lot of that dynamic, the way, you know, potentially female managers work and certainly in communication. So, look, I... I never felt that I was particularly ha- had a struggle because of my gender in that regard. I- I'm also, you know, acutely aware I was booking venues at the time I was managing and rightly or wrongly that gave me a, a position where people were going to talk to me. They needed something from me in that respect. Mm. So I- I'm sure it helped. But, sure. um, but you were juggling, yeah. weren't you? you were booking Absolutely. Venues and a bit of management. Yeah, I don't think until the job I have now, I've ever done one job. Yeah, right. You know, and I think that's the same. I think there's very oh, few to. people that, you know, can come in and certainly on the live side, certainly, yeah. you know, I think it's probably very different in, in record label land. Of course. But, yeah. Of course. Now, um, what was your, you know, your early stages of your career like? You know, how did you find management? How did you find the music industry yeah, back yeah. Then? Yep. And then? And we'll talk about how you're finding it, how you're finding it now, your thoughts on it now. But how was it back then? Um, compared to compared to like compared to now, oh look, I think everything's really hard right now. Mm. Um, you know, we just we were able to do things without the eyes of the world watching. Mm. You know, you were able to, you know, grow and develop. I think in, in in certainly a much you know steadier time. You know, the idea of an an artist getting to a point where even anyone in the industry, so to speak, would see them. You had a lot of um, breeding ground. Mm. You had a lot of opportunities to to play those shows on a Wednesday out at the Kelp Bar in, you know, the Blue Mountains or, you you know, there was so much opportunity on the live side that, you you know, you got your chops up. You know, by the time you'd be inviting labels down or, or promoters, you really knew what you were doing. And I think now it is just so quick. It's yeah. so quick. You know, the minute you're on earth, the minute, you know, you're uploading a song. You better get your live show down yeah, pat. Yeah, yeah, everyone's coming at you. Yeah. And, I, you know, and we certainly say that from an export perspective. Um, and it's a real, it's a really hard thing for a young artist who who is getting approached by internationals. They're coming at them. They're, you know, obviously showing a, a legitimate interest. 
but they're just not ready. Like yeah. they they don't even know that they can play as a band. Yeah. You know, and I, th- I think we used to see a situation before anyone even considered going overseas, they would have been able to have done a number of national shows. They've built an audience. They have had airplay here. They've been in a van together mm. for hours on end mm. um, and they have at least a nest egg and a foundation of which they can keep coming back to. The idea now, and I think it's really hard for people to say no, you know, if someone's coming and they've got an offer, come and play this festival in Germany, you need to be here now. For a young starter, that's hard to say no. What if that's my only chance? Um, Whereas I guess we're really trying to install, if you've been asked once, chances are it's coming again and you need to back yourself. Yeah. You know, if you're serious about this, you can't you can't just jump at the first thing. Take your time. Yep. And and yeah, really really we'll develop that craft, you know, we'll, we'll hone those more, skills. We'll talk more about this down the, down the track, but just sticking with your career. Mm. You mentioned Fiona Duncan before. Yeah. Did you have any other mentors when you were Yeah, ab- out? absolutely. Who um, helped you along? Yeah, and, and kind of mentors for different days. Mm, <laughs> um, right. you know, starting out, I mentioned I was the Um, I started as the activities and marketing assistant at Macquarie Uni. You know, I I didn't know what that meant. I I didn't know that that would lead necessarily to a path in music. I was always kind of on the event side of things. Um, But I I still remember the first shows there. But but you were a a music fan, clearly. Look, I'll be honest with you. I don't think you would consider me a fan in the way I think many people that get into the business were. My origins came... So going back, yeah, go I, back. I, I did a degree um, in tourism PR marketing and I sat there at the 1993 announcement of the Sydney Olympics and the idea of the Olympics coming to Sydney, that was going to be what I would do. That that would be my job. That I was, was already job. in it. That a, was your dream job. That was my dream. It was yeah, like yeah. this is this is it. I was in an events degree. I then went on to do an internship at the Manly Visitors Bureau um, again, thinking this is tourism, this is events, um, helped them out on the Midwinter Arts Festival and was invited back for the Jazz Festival. Now, I'd attended the Manly Jazz Festival with my folks. I, you know, had a, had a really lovely time on that long weekend in October. When I got behind the scenes, when I understood that there were whole machinations at play and there were runners and people doing ticketing and people doing press and people doing production and I ended up helping out there was a, a show with the Cafe at the Gates of Salvation at the Manly Aquarium and, you know, you're trying to deal with the acoustics and the and the, and the musicians. I'm like, this is it. Like the idea that you can be so close to the action but there's no way in the world I wanted to be on stage. On stage but you saw the light. The light I, got, I got it. Yeah, I, like I it was it. like yeah. I can help these people mm. be the best they can be and it just clicked and so everything from then on, was a bit of a pathway. It was, yes, I can use all the events. And there's a lot of um, similarities with tourism. I think of it as your fun money, entertainment, yep. tourism. Cool. There's this, you know, this simultaneous production and consumption where every tourism experience is unique because of the weather, because of the people involved, exactly the same with live. So I feel like there are a lot of things that drew me down that path. But, yeah, I, I didn't come into music as I'm a frustrated musician yeah. and I'm going to now work behind the scenes. I didn't You're come into it. You're more fascinated by the whole. You know, Absolutely. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So I guess um, even, even and I guess it's continued that way. It was anything I can do to be part of making life for those artists easier mm-hmm. and giving an audience the most incredible experience. Sure. So, yeah, just I, I think I've just found myself in 
in that in the right Venn diagram. Gotcha. Um, throughout, yeah. Let's, let's go back to mentors yeah. then. So, so yeah, so Macquarie Uni. Yeah. Obviously, you work with some good people there. But yeah, so the mentor. Oh, of yeah, course. So uh, on the line. Bring you back. Sometimes. No, no, yeah. of course. And so, I that was such a great place to meet everyone. You know, Macquarie was thirty minutes out of the city, so you were able to pick up a lot of shows that, you know, were playing the Annandale or the Hoey or, you know, one of the key metro but would do a side show. So we could get bigger acts doing that that regional show. On on the live front, I think um, Matthew Elliott, who was booking the Annandale, yeah. you know, he really, really helped me as a young kind of college campus booker. Um, I then went on when he moved to the be the foundation employee with Music New South Wales we kind of crossed each other in the inter- interview, to be to be honest. So he, he kind of knew I was probably looking and asked if I was interested in coming to book the Annandale. Um, huge, huge, you know, shoes to fill, oh. I think, for those that know well, Matthew. That was, a, that was our university for a time, wasn't oh, it? Oh, my God. <laughs> the Annandale like was, it like was the just place. Amazing, yeah, amazing yeah. experience. So, And Matthew, up until the time he passed, was always there, like was just such a, you know, incredible mentor. Yeah. Um, Kim Thomas. Oh, yeah. From Black Yak yeah, on yeah. the management front, really such an eclectic, incredible brain. Yes. Like the strategy. I worked with Kim on the Whitlam's. Yeah, of course. Of course. Well, yeah. it was I guess because the Whitlam's was such yeah. a campus band. So I really oh, got to know yeah, Kim time. then. And when I started out in management, you know, certainly Kim, Michael McMartin, and Sarah Longhurst would have been oh, the Sarah. real. Yes, of course. Okay, this is horrible. That no, these this people is, have passed, but know, they 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 were also giving and so generous for a young manager. Um, and Michael McMartin's still around, of oh, course. I bumped into him on still, the street a few yeah. weeks ago. He, you know, he's still doing it. Yeah. And he looks great. Yeah, yeah. and just, I mean, even he, he was awarded um, and acknowledged for, with, with you know, the, the big one at the AAM Awards yeah, this year. And, right. you know, he still used the platform to, to speak about he, management very, very advocacy. Pas- very passionate man. <laughs> yeah. But he's a great, he'd, he'd, he's he great. would have been a great mentor. He was, he was to, yeah, yeah, fantastic. Um. Then I sort of started to work a little bit on festivals and helping out on festivals. So between just DeCrew and Sahara, like really two incredible women. Yeah. How how they've done what they've done still ceases to amaze me. Like, yeah, really amazing. Um, and then moving, I guess, from, you know, that side of the world to, to where I am now, I think, you know, both Sally Howland and Dean Ormston um, no have, have been incredible mentors here. And I think both of them. I'm still practicing the art of work-life balance, but they're really good at that. Mm. And it's so healthy and so needed. And I have definitely fallen on the not very good side of that. We sometimes yeah. will fall into that, don't we? Yeah. We too much work. And, yeah. You know, and I think, you know, and, and all work and no play makes Billy a dull girl. <laughs> I just think you've got to, you've got to give yourself permission to say no. You've got to take the time. I, I need to look at look at my health. Yeah, and of course. Yeah, it we'll was, it, you know. At our age. Yeah, not, yeah, for sure. But not, th- those two definitely fantastic role models and, and certainly allowed me to have a lot of autonomy and flourish in Sounds Australia. So put it down to then. And, and the teams I've worked with, so, you know, potentially people reporting into me, but I still definitely feel like they've been mentors and learned a lot. From them as well. Like who? So, well, across Music New South Wales was Greg Carey. You know, we're still in, in yep. touch. Yep. Um, um, Meg Williams there, Jane Poles, Tracy Redhead. And my team now, I mean, they're guns. Yeah. You know, Esty Zilber, Glenn Dickey, Dom Alessio, Larry Heath. Great I team. couldn't do what I do without Great them. Team. So, yeah, 
I don't know if we're putting them in the mental category. I'm putting them in the can't live without category. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk about Sounds Australia. Yeah. So yeah. you've been there from, the, from its inception, right? Mm-hmm. So tell me how it got started because a lot of people wouldn't know no. the story behind it. Um, so there was a period heading sort of mid-2000s, more and more Australian artists were looking at these international showcase events, predominantly South by Southwest, which takes place in Austin, Texas, and The Great Escape in Brighton. And the Australian... What year was that, sorry? So, well, probably mid-2000s. I think early 2000s people were starting. But I remember going to the, one of the very first South by Southwest, and that was like in the days of Regurgitator who played there. I think that was probably 98, 99, yeah. when there was probably two and a half, three thousand people. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a behemoth it's, now, it's, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's evolved so much. But yeah. anyway, so it was, yeah, no, it was called so, early 2000s. Yeah, yeah and yeah. the Australia Council had a, a fund, a touring fund at the time called International Pathways. And in order to be eligible, you needed three shows, so artists were starting to build tours around going to these events. So they were pretty half-assed tours, to be fair, but they wanted to go to the showcase. And I think as more acts were applying for the same reason, there was a woman at the Australia Council called Sandra Bender in market development, and she's like, well, we're giving people money to go. What happens when they're there? So she took it upon herself to go. She could see that the Canadians already had a presence. You know, the UK had the British Embassy, the Nordics had a stand, and that there was just a lot more support on ground. So she was very much the one that started this idea of what would it look like if there was a cohesive and unified Australian presence. They did a bunch of roundtables in 2008. They had a number of people, artist managers, a couple of artists, definitely the industry bodies, so APRA AMCOS were involved. I think ARIA at the time, you had AIR, you had the Managers Association, um, and I was involved from an AIM-IN perspective. So at that stage, I was the Creative Director of Music New South Wales, mm-hmm. and AIM-IN formed, we were part of a larger network. So the Australian Music Industry Network was made up of Q Music, Music Victoria, right. WAM. All the peak bodies. So all the peak, each yeah. state bodies. And so... Throughout the course of those consultations, it was identified that, yes, we should have some kind of, you know, program or support. And APRA at the same time were very much looking at their membership, starting to see riders moving to LA, to Nashville, to London. They'd most recently appointed reps in those territories. So for the first time, APRA had some international reps. So everyone was starting to look at what, what was the world opening up and how were we go- how were we going to support? So, yeah, they between APRA and the Australia Council decided they would house APRA would house the role, and yeah, they went out to see who was yeah. interested. And, and it's evolved a lot, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So, how, how is your function or your? Well, let's talk about the functionality of the, of mm-hmm. the entire organisation or the, the group, and then how has your role changed inside that? Yeah. So, I mean, first and foremost, we're there to make sure that when Australians go to these events, they're given the best support. So whether that's certainly additional showcasing and performance opportunities for the artists to make sure they're seen by key industry, but there's a whole side to that which is networking and B2B. So business to business, we make no qualms. We're we're after trade. We want artists to go over there, do deals and earn money Mm. and revenue. That's our end game. And at the same time lift the overall perceptions and value of the Australian industry as a whole and really, you know, set us on that world map. So I think when we when we started, I had a program budget of 60000 Wow. 
Yeah. Which would go nowhere fast these lot, days. Not a lot. I mean, the dollar had its moment then, but yeah, And that was still. That spread, spread across the number of artists? Everything. No, it spread Everything. across a number of events. That oh, was wow. 60K all in. All in. All in. For, for whatever One event. Year. One, One year. One year. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was minimal. So I think we did that first year was South by, was. And look, part of my role, to be fair, was go find other money. Like here's what we're giving you to start with. You need to leverage that. So a lot of my conversations were very much with, you know, Queensland state government, Victorian state government. You know, how do we encourage different potential funders to become some of the parts? You know, the PPCA came on board as a funder. Like this has to be a whole of industry. It has to be a co-mingled initiative with government and industry. And I think because we were able to get those foundations right from the outset, I mean, it's still going. I still write more grants than I think I ever need to. For, for, for government grants you're talking? Government grants. Do you, do you consider, have you considered uh, talking to brands, particular we, We've brands? done a little bit of it. Or we've done. Not interested? It, it, it's hard. The difficulty we find is they'll go, oh, well, we're really, really keen. Can you do an Aussie barbecue here in Sydney? like, well, no, why would we do that? Yeah. Or they don't have a distributor. They're not distributing internationally, but they like the idea of supporting it. Sure. Or we get this situation where, oh, we're definitely interested, can you tell us who's playing? And we're like, uh, actually, no, we can't tell you who's playing because Sounds Australia absolutely doesn't select the acts. So we very deliberately remain at arm's distance. We want the programmers of those festivals to pick the best acts right. and we'll work with whoever's chosen. And that's a really key point, I think, because when I started, one of the questions from one of the festivals was, oh, who would you like to play? And right. I'm like, why, do that, why right? would I make that decision? Like, just because an artist has had Triple J or they've, you know, played Splendour doesn't necessarily mean they're the right acts for your market. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, you mm. pick the best and we'll work with them. And I said, why would you even ask me that? And they mm. said, there's there's certain governments and export offices that would only invest in an event if they chose the artist. And I just think the direction's all wrong. To me, wow. you're pushing. I want to pull. Does that, I, does that still happen to an extent? In, in other, it, in, possibly, other yeah. possibly. And mm. I guess people want to back their investment sure. or they've got... And KPI, I, and I they've th- got certain KPIs, right? Yeah, and yeah. I think they've also got... I think it's also how they're funded, which is to me why government needs to play a role in this kind of model. Because if this was left down to... Say it was only the majors that invested directly you'd be beholden to putting their acts on. That's right, of And again, that might not be the right acts. Yeah. Well, so, you've got to be bipartisan, I guess, don't you? Oh, very, very much right? so, yeah. yeah. Let me bring it back. Um, what does a year, what does a calendar year look mm. like for Sounds Australia? What What are the events that um, you're at and what are your objectives at those events? Yeah, for sure. Like so Any given year? Yeah. So we internally talk about within our framework, we have blockbuster events. Right. So South by Southwest, the Great Escape, the Reaperbund Festival in Hamburg, mm-hmm. and a combined event where we combine A2IM Indie Week, which is a labels conference in New York, New York yep. and we present a showcase at Summer Stage in New York. So they're our big four, but then alongside that, and really vital, I think, are the genre events. So for certainly first-time artists, artists that are really working in those areas, so we're talking about Americana Fest, Folk Alliance International, Jazz Ahead, Classical Next, those events offer a really great entry point. You don't have to try and find, you know, your people. They're all there. So we have a suite of those genre events. And then there's other things um, that we'll still attend but we won't present any um, 
showcases or networking. There are events we might have in the past and it just wasn't working. Mm-hmm. Or we've decided, you know, things like Music Matters where the content is so rich, what you learn from being in that room about those Asian markets is key, but we don't really need to do anything on ground there. So it's evolved and changed a lot. There's events we've done we no longer do. There's events that have fallen down, like the wonderful, wonderful CMJ. So yes, of course. Rufus of Soul and Flume, two Grammy-winning artists, played in 2012 at a really scungy dive bar called the Delancey. You know, it's part of CMJ. That, yeah. yeah. Um, I think Hermitude, Jezebel's, Courtney Barnett, it yeah. was all CMJ. Yeah. No longer happened. So we've kind of had to look for alternatives. Yeah. But really we we would never, ever invest in an event unless one of the team's gone. Yeah. You know, we talk about go before you show for artists. We do the same. You know, we have a finite budget and we want to make sure if we're going to be somewhere, we're adding value. There's some events that don't need us. Yeah. You know, you can see everyone. We're not needed. Or the people going already know what they're doing. But we look at the competition how many people are showcasing, how many artists are showcasing and where do you need to cut through? And I think the most important decider is if Sounds Australia is not there, how how much are we leaving our artists exposed? Like, sure. are, you know, it, it's sort of, yeah. Are there any genres that, you know, out there that you haven't quite, um, in terms of like the corresponding uh, festival, corresponding conference, mm. is there any genres that you haven't quite Yeah, absolutely. Yet? No, 100%. Um, Amsterdam dance events been ADA. a tough one for us. Yep. ADA, you know, there's over a hundred Australians going. Yeah, it's, it's doing a big one. really, really well. They just the nature of that events program so differently. It's not a showcase selection, so it comes back down to that. How do we support collectively mm. when no one's choosing the acts? So we, we would struggle to put some acts over others, and they're also a really highly competitive, you know group of people that go. So even from bedroom producers to some of the biggest festivals, they're not necessarily wanting to do meetings together in a in the same space. Yeah, it's a different 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 job. It's a different like, one. So I, I don't think we've nailed that. Yeah. Um are, are, is there an intention to get more involved? We're trying in what we are doing actually EDM, we we announced yesterday that we're offering um some management subsidies with the AAM. So there's five thousand dollar subsidies oh, for managers going to ADE. Great. Going to Wimax. Yep. Hip-hop's hard. Australian yes. hip-hop yes, is really hard. So certainly there are showcase events that do program hip-hop well. I think The Great Escape's one of those, Reaper Barn. Um, but there's an event in Atlanta we've kind of looked at. Um, could that be one? Are we selling it's, ice to Eskimos, right? Well, is that, is that the kind of I, Look, I don't know. And, and I, I, I do think there's certainly with the Indigenous hip-hop, I think that's going to be yes. the real breakthrough. I and I, so and I really feel like... Just artists singing in language, their stories are so real. Yeah, um, I agree. But yeah, you know, it. I, th- I think those. I, I don't think there's a, a path or a silver bullet for a lot of the, you know, soul, urban, R and B. You know, that genre domestically, it's it's a whole other world. It is, like it? it's it it's really popular in terms of you look at the charts, you look at the consumption of international artists in that area. But for those local artists. Yeah, it's another story. It really is. Um, it's a crowded elevator right now, but I, I, I agree with you. I think we need a point of difference, and that point of difference could be the Indigenous angle. Yeah. Not just singing in tongues, but singing from their own experience mm-hmm. and, and what, they're, mm-hmm. you know, what they're experiencing in this country because rap is about storytelling. Yeah. And if anyone's got a, got a great story, it's the Indigenous community yeah. in particular, particularly when it comes to hip-hop. I think where it's, it's harder for Australia to um, 
And you, we're really looking at this and you're looking at the change in consumption and you're looking at, you know, streaming broadly and what, you know, what those platforms have done, have done and what it's opened up, you know, certainly for, you know, emerging markets. And we know that right now, yes, the Western markets are, are higher. It's going to tip. It'll tip yes. by 25. You know, they're saying by 2030, you know, emerging markets will be 60% of digital streaming. I think it'll happen earlier. And when you look at that, I think what comes with it is, you know, people are often talking about, oh, you know, go to India, there's a billion people, or go to China. It's like, sure, but what are they listening to? Yeah. Like really and truly what are they listening yeah. to? And we did a little bit of a deep dive into the royalties that APRA was collecting and looking at what was coming in currently from a lot of those territories. And it is minuscule. Yeah. You know, compared to what they're giving out even across you know, all countries, mm. it's just a slither. Yeah. You know, you look at the top 10 genres in India and number one is Bollywood. Number two is Bollywood classical. Number three is Bollywood coming of age and so on and so forth. And the only possible genre Australian artists could enter is electronic and dance, sitting right. at number 10. Right. So when we kind of really look at that, it's like it's all very well that there are huge numbers, but how is Australian music going to cut through? Yeah. And I think we've needed to really rethink that just taking, you know, a four-piece white indie band to a showcase in those countries is not ever going to be something that they're after. (laughs) And I think you've also got this dual scenario where as those um, countries themselves start to you know, consume more music and they're rising higher in the, you know, overall consumption, what are they going to support? Their governments are going to tune into this and they're going to start developing local talent. So you're talking about right now that talent's not being invested in. They don't have export offices. They don't have industry associations. They don't. That's coming. It will come. And as that comes, that means it's going to get harder and harder and harder. To get in. For us to get in. Because people have this misconception that, um, you know, Asia's on our doorstep, mm. therefore, you know, we should be knocking on their doors and stuff. But there's, there's nuances. Every country has its own nuances. Like, do they and, want and us it, knocking? I mean, yeah, does China want us knocking? Uh-huh. Does South Korea want us knocking, you know? Yeah. Did Japan want us knocking? Yeah. There, there was a time when Japan, you know, the a third of the chart was international, but it's a close, it's mm. close shop. Well, the content. Can you imagine China? Language. If Japan's becoming a closed shop, what's China going to yeah. be like? And I think... In that regard, where we've got a real opportunity and something Sounds Australia hasn't spent time with and I think if there's more investment and resourcing and just rethinking it, I think we've got this incredible, like, talent here that has been untapped but first-generation migrant diaspora, you know, artists that are here that could look to export back into their hometown where there's... A, a cultural relevance. There's sure. a language. Sure. And I think focusing on opportunities for those artists, you know, what Music and Exile are doing, what, you know, there's a whole lot of artists in Western Sydney, you know, artists, like I, I think we haven't looked at what that might be. I think it sends home the value of co-writing. That's going to evolve too. Collaborating. Yeah, it's going to you evolve. Know, featuring on artists from those regions. Mm. But ultimately, I think if you really wanted the short answer, we need more investment overall and we need to make global success. I think Australians still need to compete where we can. So you're looking at UK, Europe, North America, just be the best there and then you will cross over and then you'll come 
you know, you'll have the capacity to then yeah. land. And we'll talk more across. about that in the last segment yeah. of, our, of our interview yeah. because it's, I, I, I'm fascinated by the whole globalisation concept of the, of the music industry and, mm. and how it's affecting our country, but we'll get to that. What's the biggest misconception about Sounds Australia? I, I think what is we it, touched is it on. The one of just add water will get you a deal overseas. <laughs> and, how do you, and, and on top of that, the second part of that question is how do you measure success? Yes. Both very good questions, mm. Michael. Mm. Misconception would be A, we're just a funding body. We're not. B, I touched on earlier, we select the acts and we don't. Um, overseas, I think people think we actually live there. Um, so I think there's some of the misconceptions. And I, and I don't think we've needed. Until you are going to these events, you don't necessarily have needed to come in touch with Sounds Australia. Like I remember again really early on, you know, people wanting me to advertise here, you know, tell it. It's like this is none of this is about Sounds Australia. We're not a brand that is trying to elevate ourselves. You know, any time we've been asked, oh, you can put your logo on or you can put your banner up, it's like not interested. Not interested. This is about how do we get the artists in front of the right people. So, again, we're that background, like our, our, you know, motto, if you will, is like fast-tracking global success. Like we're there as part of the engine but we're not the You're face You're the Trojan horse, so to speak. Yeah. Well, and, it, yeah, it's just never – I guess they're some of the misconceptions. Mm. Um, and then the second question is, is on your KPIs. And, yeah, how do you measure you know, success? I, and, and, and has that changed from the inception um, to now? No. And, and it's hard. And I, I guess our KPIs are driven by government impediments. Imperatives, mm. and there's been kind of you know we've had to push back on things. I, I've had conversations. Well, you know you need to grow the amount. It's like, well, do we? Why do we need to grow? Like, there's only going to be so many acts that really are going to benefit each time. So there should be limits. Like, you know, you I don't want to see oh this many acts keep going because I think the effectiveness becomes Dilutes diluted. It, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, it'd be things like. We report on outcomes. So, and again, I, I I don't ever want to claim that Sounds Australia has been responsible for X, Y, and Z. We've a hundred percent played a part in facilitating them, but those acts, rightly so, very likely would have got it anyway. Right. They just might have got it a lot quicker, mm. and they might have done it without having to invest everything. So, I think where we start to report back to government is there are streams and streams of outcomes from artists showcasing. So at the end of each event, we do survey. Mm. Let us know what have you achieved or how have you advanced your career. So we're learning about the amount of label deals they've done, distribution they've signed, producers that they really wanted, agents that they've... So we've got thousands of those examples. Um, I think the real testament is that we're still here and I kind of often question... We do our job to help make it easier. And to, to be honest, a lot of our day-to-day is on managers. So if we've made that experience for managers easier, more seamless, and they've been able to connect with more people than they would have, in a way that's really where we sit in it. Right. You know, yeah. the, the absolute end result is really hard. We, you know, we kind of have looked at research. I think we need to, and if we had, again, more money, you'd want to delve deeper into the value of Australian music export and, and benchmark it. There was a, a study that we did do that I, I really look at now and it was probably quite conservative. But, yeah, it, it's all, it's always a tricky one. I mean we now have self-imposed KPIs where we want to ensure First Nations are on our stage. 
And I think that was a real learning lesson for me. I, rem- I remember sitting in New York, I think it was 2018, and we presented Gurumul's documentary. You know, if you haven't seen it. Oh, I have. It's powerful. <laughs> please do. Yeah. But I did look at that and think, okay, Gurumul certainly showcased with us. He did The Great Escape and he did Music Matters. I'm like, where are other artists and why are they not on these stages when they are actually some of the best in the country? And I think because of this self-imposed, we don't select the artists, you have to get on yourself, you have to go through the process, those artists weren't applying. So they weren't applying so therefore they were never going to get chosen. And it was there and then I think I walked out of that cinema and went, that's not how we're going to work with these acts anymore. We are actually now going to go to the festival programmer and say, we want these artists, we're going to provide you with information on acts that are ready. Like I don't just want to tick a box here. They have to be artists that have got teams working with them that have aspirations for export and we will want you to put them on. So I think we've seen a huge difference since then in terms of the number of artists from Psycho and Aiden and Budgera and Electric Fields. And it's amazing. I'll be coming Um, to see you soon, really. Oh, I hope so. And they're some of the best. But it was just that simple tweak in us going, okay, I know why we had that rule, but we are allowed to change it. And that was very deliberate. Um, In terms of uh, gender, I think the festivals themselves have been really good. You know, there's a couple of occasions where we kind of would nudge them or if you had a choice uh, on our stages, we'll always look at that. But I, but I think overall um, most of them are really mindful of it themselves so we haven't really needed to step in there. And back to the artists who, who go to these festivals mm. on a yearly basis or, you know, um, everyone's got their own objectives, right? I mean... One act might want to get a live agent out of, out yeah. of South by Southwest. Another might want to get a, a record deal. So one, you know, one might want to find a series of producers and songwriters they need to work with. It's very varied, isn't it? Oh, hundred so, percent. So, so measuring, measuring, and, yeah. measuring success in KPI. And they're also you use these events at different times in your career. Yeah. You know, for some people, it's very much it's that first first step, and there's safety in that. Mm. There's economies of scale. You know, and, and look, don't get me wrong, you know, I'm obviously the cheerleader for showcase conference events. Mm. It's not the only way. You know, there are multiple ways to export. It happens to be one of them. Mm. And when you're looking for a government to invest, there's collective benefits. So many, many people will be a beneficiary of the investment into an initiative like Sounds Australia. Um, but, yeah, you certainly got artists that are going for the first time. It means they're going to get in front of people who are there with open eyes and ears. You know, you as an industry person, you're not going to a big sound to not talk to people. Of course. You know, you're looking. The whole idea, yeah. So there's a lot in that. There's others that will revisit an event when they have all their team in place and it's a great chance to just have that sit down with global teams. Yeah. You know, you, you can really see when an act's a little bit more established and just you can see it level up. I was going to say, sometimes it's best to probably pick your moment before you go For over sure. and meet the right people and showcase your act. You know, as you said much earlier in the conversation, you can go prematurely, can't you? When you're not ready, uh, you haven't played enough shows and then, you know. And honestly, and first impressions yeah. can be lasting impressions in this business. So picking your moment is very important, isn't it? And, and I think certainly coming out of COVID, mm. what we're seeing is artists are just they're not ready. Mm. The chops aren't there. They haven't had this chance to, you know, really get their their gig wheels in motion. And 
is that the way you want to present yourself on a stage? Mm. I mean, we talk about go before you show a lot and this idea that you really need to see what you're up against, what's the competition like. Um, it's just... And it's tighter and tighter it, every it's day, It's harder right? and yeah. harder. And I, and I think there's other, you know, I think in terms of people going too early, they're cutting costs, you know, mm. that... We don't even need to list the amount of costs that are that are happening now, but they might, instead of taking the full band, decide to go and it's a solo artist with track. Is that really going to be the gonna, best yeah, way? Yeah, right. Um, and the main thing we talk about is if you're looking to go to an event and say you go and you get everything you want, you get that agent that you've been after, you get a, a firm commitment from a producer that wants to record you, you've got everything going your way, can you get back? Right. right? Can yeah. you get back? And it's not, can you get back next year? Honestly, if you're not back in six months, right. you've, you've lost that momentum. Yeah. So when you're budgeting for that first time, budget for the second, you know, and, and I think it's getting harder for people to want to work with acts from so and far away. Are you saying out of sight, out of mind? Oh, yeah. 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 And the real difficulty it's there. A, it's always been an issue for, uh, for Australian acts abroad, it's, it's, always. And, it's, and I guess you're looking at, you know, oh, you know, from way back yes. you'd build a story in Australia until you had a story in Australia you couldn't go to one and you'd pick one country and you'd try that now you literally because of what you can see through your analytics where your audiences are you might have things popping off you know in Chile in Turkey and you That's know right. oh, I need to be everywhere sure that that may be the case but how on earth do you sustain that yep. how do you financially invest yep. and yes you can simultaneously go to all these markets, but you can't grow them at the same time. No Even way. the biggest acts can't. Of course. Pick, so, yeah, pick, pick your territory yeah. and, and work one before you get to the next one. Yeah. yeah, and always have that nest egg that we keep talking about. Like you have to keep reinvesting in yourself. If you don't have a fan base here in Australia where you can come back, quickly whip around the country, mm. sell a bunch of hard tickets and merch, know that you've got an APRA check on the way, what on earth or how on earth how are you going to go it? again? Yeah, right. For, for example, I mean, John Butler's done a great, you know, mm, fantastic, mm. you know, over the years, in, you know, um, people like Xavier Rudd, you know, who still, you know, managed to sell out rooms here, but have also got healthy, you know, uh, you know, healthy um, attendances overseas. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a balance, isn't it? And you have to have it. Otherwise, you know, yeah. what, what have you got? Yeah. And look, you've certainly got artists that will take the route of that. They'll start, they'll do it for a while. They'll come back. And then they'll relocate. Yeah. You know, so you've got gangs are over in London now. You've got others like DMAs that are just, you know, relentless in the UK. And what they've done there is like Amazing, just yeah. best practice. Yeah. You know, really not just, you know, the UK isn't London and a bit of Europe. Like they have gone to all the regional areas. Johan told me the like, story. I interviewed Johan for this series uh, a few weeks back and he was saying how they could play the most obscure location on a Tuesday night and get 2,000 yeah. kids. Because they keep going yeah. back and keep yeah. going back. Yeah. yeah, that's it. It's it, it, like it's hard. The choices are hard. The opportunities are there. A lot of it is is being really measured, saying no, and backing yourself. Yeah, I think. Yeah, Millie, let's take a, a, a break from the serious stuff. Let's get hypothetical here. Okay, I love this. I love this section because everyone's. Good. I've asked. I ask everyone different questions, different hypotheticals. Okay, and this is just based on on. Nothing in, in particular, just what, what you think. With maybe crystal ball, maybe a little bit of crystal balling. <laughs> okay. Right? But let's start with, so you're being asked to create a whole new music-based peak body, right? 
What would that look like in 2023, 2024? I don't know how much of a hypothetical this one is. Go, no, no, uh, Only in that, you know, we... We need one? Another one? We were... Well, we have one. I think on the 30th of January this year, the mm. National Cultural Policy was launched. Oh, of course, yes. And in doing so, the Arts Minister, Tony Burke, announced the creation of Music Australia. And this is something the industry collectively have been calling for a development office and that, that was would, launched only a couple of days ago, wasn't it? Yesterday, yesterday was yeah. was the official launch where the Australia Council became Creative Australia, and within that are a number of, of different entities, but one is going to be Music Australia. Well, tell us about that. What, what does that look so, like? So, look, from my lens, it will be a body that needs to look at research and policy, mm -hmm. and then I think there's four very clear streams where you're looking at artist development, industry development, audience development and market development. Right. And then that's in probably in its broadest categories, but it's really about working with that commercial world, you know, that hasn't had that kind of direct investment and strategic support, quite similar to what the VMDO has done in Victoria, yes. but really looking at where are the levers, what things are working, what things worked in the past that we could bring back. You know, you know to me it's like looking at things like the push. What an incredible, you know, organisation. strong. Incredibly strong. Is. It's just Victoria. How does that become national? Yeah. You know, what other, you know, you've got some incredible live and local programs with local council happening in Queensland. How does that become national? You know, there were initiatives that the Australia Council had at one point, like control and release, which were very dedicated management and label, you know, mentoring and career building programs. Let's bring them back. The John Butler Seed. What an amazing initiative. So I think. And, and look, it's all going to come down to who's running this thing and where the priorities are. But I think... Do we know who's running it? Not yet. Right. No, they've announced the board. Mm -hmm. So there's an eight-person board um, chaired by Adrian Collette, who's also the um, CEO of Creative Australia. There's three artists, five industry across all the country. Yep. I mean, I don't envy the minister in having to put that you know, group together. of people together. And that was but Tony I, Burke. Tony, yeah, yeah. Tony, uh, the minister's done that. Mm -hmm. um, Good I him. think he's done an incredible job. He seems like, like he cares and he wants, oh, to, he wants to help, it, doesn't he? It's, it's kind of almost unprocessing to mm. have a government so invested. Long overdue, isn't it? Yeah, and look, it's only up to us to screw it up from here. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. And I mean that in all sincerity. I think whilst we talk about all these these issues and how hard it is and all the challenges, we've never had more money on the table right now, today, for contemporary mm. music. So at a federal level, you know, you've got Sound New South Wales that John Grahams and the um, mm. Minns government came in. They've just, you know, got that up and running. They're starting there. There's a review happening in um, Western Australia. It's all bubbling. Yeah. What we don't want is to cannibalise ourselves and fight amongst ourselves. Yeah, we need one voice, don't we? We have to. I think one's probably never going to happen. Well, but as, I, don't, as, I know what as you as mean. Like, close to. But I think we need to give these initiatives a chance. It's not going to ever solve every problem. It can't solve every problem. But if we give it the time and the space and get it right, like you get the infrastructure right, you get the processes right, we're going to have artists and industry professionals from years to come that can benefit from this. Yeah. And I truly believe with government that if you can show a proof of concept and if you can show some success and wins, they will keep backing you. Yeah. And, and I, I feel like Sounds Australia is so they should. A, mm. an example of this and I think Music Australia has the capacity to, to do that. that. On, yeah. a much, on a much broader, it's broader level. It, it's really exciting. Yeah. Like, 
You know, we look at our contemporaries and other countries and, you know, there's varying degrees of funding and you've got Canada, which is what seems like it all. I think there's been some really measured approaches here. I think what we've got is set up to be incredible. We've just all got to work together to make yeah. it happen. I could see you in politics, Millie. <laughs> I really could. Maybe in five years' time, you know, I'm going to get into politics. So you do. What portfolio would you like? It wouldn't be the arts. No. It would not be the really? arts. No, no. And it wouldn't be, well, hopefully it's it's broader than arts. Hopefully it, it has more of a creative industries mm. title at the time. I feel that where I would add far more value to being in the arts portfolio is an aligned portfolio and I would, it would be a cross between foreign affairs and trade. I think I'd probably lean towards trade because they are also responsible for tourism. Right. And I think I in gonna, terms of... going to say tourism? Yeah, but I also think what I could do there alongside yeah. the arts portfolio, I don't need convincing on the value of arts, not mm. not only as an economic driver, not only as our well-being, good of our nation, culturally these stories need to be, you know, celebrated and elevated, but... We need support right now from those other portfolios, you know, small business and investment. You know, there needs to we need to sit at the table on trade and this whole idea of service um, services rather than goods export. Yeah, so I think I think it'll be one of one of the two. Let, let's call it trade. You'd be great yeah. at that, and then trying to find a life work balance, Millie. Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, God. that would obviously <laughs> come, Michael. <laughs> let's talk about your Aster program, your Keys to the Kingdom. You've asked a program a massive festival, let's call it Uluru, Mm -hmm. in Uluru, which is very um, symbolic of most of the themes we're talking about today. Um, All Australian lineup. it could be past, it could be present, it could be what you're seeing as the future of Australian music and you're their programmer. What does that festival look like and has it got a name even? Wow. Carte Blanche. Really? What a gig. Just, how amazing <laughs> would that be, right? What a gig. I, I actually just got back from Darwin and oh, incredible place. Yeah. I, I'm going to cheat. Yeah, I go am going to cheat because we, as Sounds Australia, put on this showcase in Central Park as part of Summer Stage. We've done it three times. Yes. And I think what you're suggesting in this, you know, hypothetical festival mm. is exactly what we try and do. Right. And we try and give mm. a, a smorgasbord of everything that's happening in Australia at that time Mm -hmm. and artists at very, very different levels and stages of their career and it does include artists from the past. Yeah, heritage acts. Heritage acts. And, and like, I have a real belief that those artists and particularly if they're still recording and they're still releasing and the value of catalogue need to be in that export I couldn't agree more. So I'm going to tell you who those 12 artists are. 12? We've done three shows, six each. Oh, 12 that you've already done, you 18. Right. Okay, 18. Is that all right? Yeah, absolutely. It's a festival. Absolutely. Okay. 1300, okay. AB Original, Yep. Amy Shark, Yep. Baker Boy, Yep. Budgera, yep. Electric Fields, yep. G Flip, yep. Haiku Hands, yep. Hermitude, Elfish the Lion, wow. Peach PRC, Peking Duck, San Cisco, Spiderbait, The Teskey Brothers, TK Mazda, UMI, and I'm going to add Ratcat. Ratcat. <laughs> I'm going to add Ratcat. Ratcat. So that's that's in, my that's, Uluru that's festival. Your, that's your heritage act, is it? Is that your surprise? Well, you've also got Spider Bait and, and you are I, of course. But um, no. So those those eight, uh, eighteen acts that would be amazing. We have put on those stages. Who would headline then? They'd, who who would fight it's for the alphabetical? Is it really it's all alphabetical? That's, are you going to say that? I yeah. had this feeling you're going to say that. Well, 
Look, I, I feel like it depends on what time of the day the festival starts. You, you, you cannot go wrong if Peking Duck are closing oh, a festival. Absolutely. I feel like I probably all would that lean. that smoke, all that fire. Yeah, yeah, I think I'd probably lean that way. But, it's a great um, festival though, isn't it? Yeah, well, you, you can come. Oh, yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> the backdrop would be amazing, wouldn't it? Oh, uh, yes, yes. Okay, so just back to government for a little bit. So if you could change, again, a hypothetical, mm, mm. had the power to change any piece of legislation right now, what would that be and why okay. would you change it? And there's a lot on the table. I mean, you would have heard so much. obviously content quotas across audio, video, oh, on-demand we- platforms, the removal of the 1% cap. That's been um, there for a long time. Forever. Yeah. What's uh, the one? Neighbouring rights. Okay, I'm going to go and it would be new legislation and it would be direct cash into the whole system, the ecosystem is tax offsets. Right. So it would be a combination of offsets for venues that present live music mm-hmm. and then offsets for artists that are investing in their careers. And the way I would see that happening is that you'd have an eligibility, so you might have to do 20 shows a year and X amount of releases get you in the mix. I love There'd that. be cost centres, so like key. We don't have a problem with supply. We don't have a problem with creating music. Mm. It's how do you market, how do you penetrate and how do you sustain? How do you make it cost effective yes. for the artist yes. too, right? So what are those key costs? So whether it's, you know, you travel in a com, whether it's marketing budgets for video. So you'd have set cost there. Yeah. Everyone who's doing it, you get a rebate if you, you've met that target. Then if you're going into regional and remote areas of Australia, so that next tier up, right. you get a, a more incentivised rebate. Yeah, I love you So you're encu- encouraging people into the regions, really building audiences in those regions. Mm. And then that third tier would be if you are then exporting, you get a higher incentive. So there'd be three tiers. Love it. That's it. You sure you don't want to be in politics? That's what I want. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That's a great yeah. idea. So that would be my one. Has that been discussed ever? That There's APRA did some work yeah. on the tax offset. It, look, it's a hard one. It's a yeah. really hard one for a government to, to go there. So I'm just going to keep going on about it. I think it's got a lot of merit. Well, and I think certainly it takes the competitive nature. You know, these aren't contested. You 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 know you're you're doing the business. You're investing in yourself. Therefore, you get the return. Yeah. And I and I think it's very much the fairest way to do it. And I think it just will keep stimulating it and that money just I, comes I, I directly love, back love, into it. I love it conceptually. Yeah. Just trying to convince those people upstairs, yeah. right? Yeah. I think, look, there's probably versions of it, but, yeah, yeah. if I'm going to go for the ultimate, that would that would be it. Okay. So let's finish off on the hypotheticals. I'm kind of – if you could change anything about your working history, mm. you know, was there a sliding doors moment, Millie, where you went, hmm, what if I had done that? I mean, what would you – or maybe you wouldn't want to change anything because you seem really happy with what you're doing. But was there a sliding doors moment, so to speak? No, look, I, I think everything I probably didn't do right I've learnt from and mm. has probably led me to here. There were a couple of moments where, and, and this probably comes back to the work, work-life balance. I remember um, I was at Macquarie Uni, Stephen Pavlovic, had approached the yeah he'd he'd approached the um, uni about doing a festival the Somersault Festival um, incredible opportunity like I was you know in all like the idea of Beastie Boys and Beck and so like I mean I just couldn't and um, I was again working at the uni at the time um, going on annual leave was on holidays was day one of my holiday I was seeing a guy at the time he'd kind of been let's be honest, a little bit annoyed with how much I had been working. 
I'd been promising, promising, promising him that we were going to have this holiday. It would all be about him. Day one, sitting in his, his house in Redfern, I get a call from one of the team that was working on the festival saying, we know you're on holidays for three weeks. We'd like to contract you to be the site manager for Somersault. Site coordinator, sorry. And I could see him. He could hear the conversation. what was going on yeah. by my questions. You know, how many hours, what days? And he's literally shaking his head, no. Like, no, no. don't you do it. Don't you dare. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, yes, of course, I'd love this opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> you had to and take. so I kind of feel like maybe not the best for the relationship. No, no. Yeah, we, we broke up not long after that. But I do think it really set home that this was something – I was absolutely. There was passion, real passion. This was there. to break up a relationship. It wasn't this, even. Yeah. It wasn't even like I didn't hesitate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not taking anything away from him. He was actually really was, great. Yeah, but yeah. it just was like, no, That's this hilarious. is it. That's hilarious. Um, other things. Look, I'll be really honest. I think as a manager, I had a lot of skills. I was a great communicator. I could organise. Um, certainly, the counselling side. I could plan. I could strategy. I don't think I was driven by the dollar. Mm. I don't think I was hungry enough for the deal. I don't think I was hungry enough to find the revenue. This is all in hindsight and I think my acts probably, you know, suffered as a result of that. Um, So I think, you know, I've learnt that that's not my strength. I definitely understand commercial world but it's not something within me. Yeah, it's not innate. That that Mm. makes me wake up. Yeah. And I think you need that. Yeah. I, I really think you need that. Management is such can be a thankless task, can't mm. it? It's oh. just such a tough job. But if you do get it right, it's also quite rewarding, you know, spiritually and for your hip pocket. You yeah. Know, if you get yeah. it right, but yeah. you've got to work hard and at you it. Get and, it and, and I think, I mean, so many artist managers, you're putting the acts first, which again oh, yeah. makes sense. Yeah. But there's this warped sense of expectation. Yes. There's this... You know, and we see it all the time when when artists are in market and overseas with their acts. It's all about the act. Mm. Where we see them really grow is when they've gone to an event without the artist. Yeah. It's it's yeah. actually the, the difference is phenomenal. And to any artists out there, if you are going, do not expect your manager to be the one checking you into the hotel no. and ordering the Uber or carrying a guitar That's case. That's not our job. And... They should be out there working for you. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, no, man- management is really hard. It's so a tough one. I guess I don't think I'd change anything. I think everything's kind of led to the next thing. Yeah. You know, I've had some incredible opportunities. Um, you really have, haven't you? Yeah, mm. yeah, and ho- hopefully that keeps Do- doing going. Doing something but- you love, which a lot of people can't say. No. You know? No, I, w- I wake up every single day, like, and, and have. I've probably woken up hungover and shouldn't go to work, but I've definitely... <laughs> yeah. There's nothing like it. Yeah, and every day in this business is a fresh adventure, isn't it? That's what I say. Yeah. You know, you wake up going, okay, there's going to be a new set of challenges today and yeah, unlike yesterday, so it's always changing, forever changing. And look, you know, you you kind of just have to keep checking yourself. Like we're in a really great, fun business. I think so. I think so too. You don't want to lose the fun. Um, You know, I, I... even at the hardest times, you know, I look at the the team I get to do this with, we get to present, I still maintain the best talent in the world here. Mm. Um, and just to see those successes, it, it just keeps you going every time, every yeah. time. It's great, isn't it? Yeah. Sense yeah. of achievement. Yeah. Okay, now time to take your filter off. 
Millie. Let's get serious. Let's finish up the interview with some, with some not, well, not hard questions, but there, you know, there's stuff that we need to talk about. Let's talk about the state of the music business, right? And we, when I came in before, which was not on, on tape, uh, was the concept of globalisation of the music industry and how we're becoming one world more and more each day, I think. So the borders are dissolving, aren't mm, they? Mm. So you need to be great. Whatever genre you choose to be in, you need to be, you need to be great. Because you're judged in real time, and you're not longer judged. You're no longer judged. You know, say for example, you're an R&B singer. Your competition is no longer that other artist in Victoria. If you're living in New South Wales, and vice versa, your competition could be Atlanta, Georgia. It could be you know Bristol, UK. It's getting tighter, tougher, smaller. The world that is, mm. and metrics are getting tighter because you are measured in real real time these days. How, does, how has that affected us here in Australia? Because I, I can feel it and sense it and smell it. Do you, can you see it too? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, just the the whole competition for bandwidth mm. the, and audiences and not even it, within the music industry, like in Netflix, you're gaming. Everywhere, yeah. Like so there's, there's so much competition. I think you've got emerging artists are against catalogue releases, like we mentioned. Yeah. You know, even in terms of festival lineup positions. Um. <laughs> It, it's such a – I think it's about really knowing why you want it. Like, And, and it, it's hard because I think people should be doing music just because they want to do it. So mm. for those that are, you need to look at all the available tools that are there for you. So I think, you know, the ability to deep dive into your analytics and realistically where do you sit, how do you compare. And, and I think you're right. You can't just go, well, you know, in my immediate circle or these – other artists that happen to be on Triple J, this is where I see it. Mm. It's like really look at look, what's look happening yeah, out absolutely. there. I don't think there's an answer there's no right answer. now. Yeah. I think being cognitive of it, I think being aware of it, and I and I also think this is where as an entire industry everything needs to shift. So from the grassroots of music in schools in, in terms of like really building a robust, you know, playground here mm. so that when our artists do go, they're ready and they're primed and they're prepped. Yeah. In the same so way like, the sporting industry is, yes. is, is encouraging, yeah. you know, young young people or kids especially. I mean, look at the Matildas recently, yeah. right? Yeah. So that's the yeah, same kind of parallels, aren't there? Oh, and with, I think with sports. that absolutely kept coming through watching those games. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, and you, you've got similar similar idea, all these, you know, at a local level, you've got all the teams, all the weekend, you know, sport. We've got the same here, but it's then how do you feed it up how do you harness to it be and the then professionals? Yeah. How do you get those to be the Matildas? And I think, you know, there are already a lot of really great organisations mm. doing incredible development work. So whether that is the state industry bodies, whether it's the mentorship program that AIR's running. There's a lot of it there. I think we just need to really kind of consolidate. I think you don't want to duplicate. Like there's only, you know, whilst I said we've got more money on the table than ever before, it's still not a lot. So don't duplicate. We don't want states competing with the feds. You know, how do you co-invest? How do you harness? Um, you know, we don't need to. We all know what we're doing. Let's just sprinkle some dust on it. Like, mm. let's not reinvent the wheel. You don't want people to, oh, here's this money. Let's start from scratch and make something shiny. No. Let's just go with what we've got, you know, at least in the next three let's years. Let's roll up our sleeves and do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah. So artists, artists it's gonna, it's competitive, but, you know, the, the theme of competitiveness, like 
you have to – are we hamstrung because we're in Australia? Are we hamstrung financially? Are we able to compete with international artists on a creative level? Things like even videos, the production of, of music, you know, are we good enough here to compete? Or is, is there still a cultural cringe factor? I think we're good enough to compete. Yeah. I think if you look at, you know, from Tame Impala, Rufus, Flight Facilities, Dom Dollar, like the list truly goes on. I think it is harder, like mm. without a word of a lie. That mm. tyranny of distance and that need to physically be there are costs that no one else has to wear in the same yeah, way. It's expensive, isn't it's it? It's expensive. Yeah. And I think, you know, some of the things um, that we've been, you know, presenting and advocating for is a dedicated export marketing fund. And of that you'd have different tiers, like a First Nations component for artists and professionals, different levels for um, artists. One would be your first time. But within that, I think there needs to be funding for an artist that is incredibly established here to how do you get yourself from a mid-tier on a Coachella lineup to in the top three lines? You know, how do you... Becoming a headliner. And it might be that government investment pays for a confetti cannon. You know, whatever, like those, if those production values are lifted at the right time for an artist, you're adding zeros to their performance fee. So I think it's being, you know, it, it can't, You've got to look outside of what's well, being traditionally being funded. You've got to be creative, don't you? Absolutely. Um, I think there's opportunities. If you've got some of our bigger headline acts, I was in um, Toronto and watching Vance Joy, incredible show, sold out Budweiser, but he had Budgera open. You know, that's what we need. How can we provide stimulus and support so that the headlining Australian Acts does take the next up-and-coming Australian Acts? So I think there's there's things we can do to ease that pressure. Obviously, going back to the, the new, newly created tax offsets that I've decided took, will yeah. work, but it is about really <laughs> understanding just what it's going to take. So what's a big – just to finish off, Millie, so what do you perceive to be the biggest threat to our domestic music industry? Or are you just, is it all just all hunky-dory and everything's great? What's a threat? What pisses you off? What keeps you awake at night? Particularly in your role. Yeah. What really gets your goat? Let's not mince words here. No, my, look, mine, on the macro level, I think we know all the problems. We do. I think, to me, it's going back to this need to work together mm. and that we can't cannibalise ourselves. And I think there's a real fear that you're going to have a lot of egos and a lot of, you know, people thinking that this is how we need to do it and this is how we need to do it, and they're both probably right, but if we don't take the time to breathe and work together, I think we're in for a real opportunity that we're going to be the ones that squander this. Mm. You know, governments played their part. And when part. you say we... Who- I mean we as in terms of all the people with a in, in a position to change or power. So whether that's those that are working in key leading organisations, so trade bodies, whether it's those that are coming through with the major labels, those that have already got voices at the table, we just have to do this together. And I know it sounds pretty hippie and kumbaya, (laughs) but you can see it all in front of us Mm. and we're the only ones that are going to destroy this. Yeah, right. So I just feel like aside from all the, you know, obviously costs, insurances, you know, the, the the inability at what it seems like for Australian artists to to be discovered even in our hometown, a lot of it's going to be, you know, the valuing of music and the greater consciousness of Australians. There's a lot of work to be done. But my biggest fear right now is if we don't do it together, we really, really could miss up literally generational change right now. Yeah, Like this money is on the table. 
it, it's all ahead of us and it's ours to, to either win. Don't fuck it up, right? That's what I'm saying without <laughs> swearing, Michael. I don't swear. <laughs> Just finish off with this. What's the one single piece of advice you could give to an act that's on the precipice or on the cusp of going overseas? Just the one, what's the best piece of advice? I think they've just got to back themselves. They're just, they're going to have information and advice and everything coming at them and be realistic. I know that sounds so simple, but I think they're things that are, you get so caught up in it so quickly. There's good people around. Lean on what's around. You know, there's, there's so many people like you, people in the industry that offer to shout them a coffee and they'll come and talk to you. Like you're not, you don't have to do it alone. There's so much online. Like when we started, you couldn't look up online anything. You couldn't no, look up how to no do this. Like when I started, you know, like that's true. It's true. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like mine. Yeah, you got to back yourself. Mm. Don't take every opportunity that is thrown at you. Take a bit of time. Yeah, get considered. Millie, that was fantastic. Thanks so much. I mean, I learned a lot today, actually, (laughs) quite a bit that I didn't know, and particularly your political beliefs came shining through. But, yeah, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. And we'll see you at an event, maybe Uluru. Yes, yes, indeed. In a year's time. With Ratcat. With (laughs) Ratcat. Have a great day. Thanks, Michael. You've been listening to Vinyl Tap Inside the Music Industry, the podcast with Michael Parisi. If you enjoyed that episode, please go to my website for more information about any of my guests, www.vinyltappodcast.com, all one word, of course, and we'll see you on next week's instalment.